You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. Welcome to the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson, and he's Money Mainville. All three of us in the house tonight. Uh, Sunday night, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Here in the Cardinal Sports Center studio, you can gear up for the bowl game against Cal. If you're heading to Shreveport, you go get some gear at Cardinals. If you're trying to buy a Christmas gift for the sports fan in your life, Cardinal Sports Center is your go-to. If they're a Texas Tech fan or just, you know, a baseball player, if they like shoes, you can get them something at Cardinals. Lots more women's fashion, sideline apparel, whatever you want to do. You can get it at Cardinals Sports Center right outside the loop on Slide Road or online, mycardinalsports.com. How you guys doing? I just want the Vikings to score, man. That's all. Did uh, Dobbs get hurt? No, he is just bad. Oh. <laughs> Unless he got hurt late in the game. I, I want them to put in Jaron Hall. Oh, I got you. I didn't know he- if you were already in or – BYU quarterbacks, pretty good history in the NFL. You've got Steve Young, Jim McMahon, Zach Wilson. One today. So I, I think Jaron Hall needs to be that dude going forward. Money, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Did you hammer the Chiefs down 14? Money line? I did not. Well, it's tied now, so. You always got to trust Patrick Mahomes and the comeback king. All right, let's get into it. Uh, where do you guys want to start? You want to start with the transfer portal or uh, some basketball? Portal. All right, always football first. That's how this podcast rolls. Uh, the transfer portal in high gear. Um, and Texas Tech absolutely cleaning up. Uh, DB from Fairmount State. And uh, Jalen Conyers, who should have been a Red Raider I don't know, four years ago, whenever he went to Oklahoma. So uh, congratulations, Jalen Conyers, gimmick quarterback uh, galore, and he'll come and do everything he wants to do here at Texas Tech. Did y'all see that YouTube clip of him saying that he tried to commit to Texas Tech and Matt Wells and his staff told him no? I I remember he was uh, an offer, but I guess they filled out their class at 12 and didn't want to take Jalen Conyers. Apparently, I mean, he, he visited, this is according to him. He, I wish I could find the YouTube video again. He was like, yeah, actually like tech was my dream school growing up. All my friends were going there and I visited and I tried to commit and they told me, no, like finish all your official visits and everything and then decide. And then of course he gets offered by OU and goes to OU and then transfers to Arizona state. But it's like it, if that's true. And I, I mean, I take him at his word. Maybe he's like, maybe that's a little bit of, revisionist history it's like what are we doing here you're, you're we're telling like high-end four-star tight ends from the panhandle no keep shopping around like don't don't lock in with us and maybe i would understand better if i was in the profession or something but if i had a kid that i had offered and he tried to commit like that's a take unless we're unless we've taken six kids at that guy's position since then and now we're full but yeah. i don't think that was the case was that the jed castles class 
Or was that before? No, it had to have been before because Conyers is like a – he's a COVID guy. He's going into like year five or six. And Castles was the same class as Tharp. So, like, yeah, that would have maybe made sense if you had Castles and Tharp already in and, like, you don't want to take three tight ends in a class. But I don't think that was – I think Conyers, his first year was like 2019. Crazy. But anyway, delayed but never denied. At least he's a Red Raider now. And he's the the DB from Fairmont uh, isn't ranked in 24-7's transfer portal rankings. But despite that, with just one commit through the door, Texas Tech sits at sixth in 24-7's portal rankings. I'm sure that will change as teams add three, four, five, six guys. Uh, but, yeah, big add, especially um, hopefully at a position where you can upgrade a little bit. I, to me – it it probably signals at least one of Tharp or Cup is maybe not expected back for one reason or another. Um, I, I don't know if you'd be prioritizing tight end if you had both of those guys coming back and you already signed a Juco tight end, Alex Lines. So that's just, I guess, a uh, opinion that I have. I don't I don't know anything there. Just uh, looking back at this 2020 class, uh, it was the 2020 class that Jalen Connors was originally in. You have two tight ends in the class. Can you name them? Um, I don't remember one what, of them. Is one of them from Wellington? Yes. John? John Holcomb. Okay, was the other one? Um, hang on, it'll come to me. Oh, uh, Jason. Yeah. Jason Lloyd. Yeah. Uh, I don't think either one of them uh, locked in. You had nine transfers and twenty-three high school commits in that class. And I don't, I don't remember uh, several of these JUCO kids. Wow, that was a class, man. Yeah. Shout out to Chase in my hat. No free ads. It's not a free ad though. On Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, interesting that the transfer portal does not count Juco kids as transfers, uh, but you also have the defensive tackle and the tight end. You mentioned the tight end, but the defensive tackle as well. Danny, um, Saili or whatever his name is uh, also coming in as Juco players and, uh, the, the quarterback Cam Brown coming in. So. I don't think he's ranked either. West Georgia University, University of West Georgia. Um, it's an interesting uh, approach, but if you're just going to go off measurables and you're going to go find guys with measurables and you're going to talk about it through the high school ranks of guys that not everyone is offering, you're going to offer first, you're going to offer, uh, you're going to be the only one offering this guy and, it's going to be a Texas Tech offer and some offers that you don't understand. And you're like, all right, why are we getting this guy? And then everyone's on him later. If you're going to take that approach at Fairmont State and West Georgia and some of these D2 schools, and you're going to go try and find hidden gems, more power to you. Uh, but it, it just is, it seems like a departure from the first two seasons of recruiting with these two, uh, with this staff or at least first two cycles, really only the second cycle in the transfer portal. 
I think what's interesting too is as the cycle kind of started, I think Joey said he would probably end up picking six to 10 guys. I think you're at five now um, and still no offensive linemen. You've had some offensive linemen go off the board to Colorado. Um, and so I think that's going to kind of be an interesting situation to watch is, hey, what happens with these next couple of spots? Where do you allocate them? I, I would imagine at least one or two go to offensive linemen. But I really like the Conyers pickup. Um, I think it was Ben Golan who posted a video of him kind of running like a midline option, um, which was gorgeous. And then he threw six pass attempts last year for Arizona State. So I don't know what I would set a line at for over under uh, pass attempts for him next year, but like definitely a gadget player. And with that flexibility, I think now the thing is, all right, let's use it. Like, let me let me see him run the wildcat one time this year. Let me see him, you know, take a reverse pass and and throw it back down the field. I think it's kind of you're you're opening your playbook a little bit by landing players like this. Now let's now let's see it happen. You've got some more creativity. Even the quarterback, who I don't expect to play much, really good dual threat option. So like, what are you what are you going to do there? Like, are you going to run the quarterback some more? Are you going to bring him in for some different looks? I don't know, but I definitely think with the pickups you've made so far, the playbook is a little bit more open. You've got some more weapons and you've got some more options, um, especially with Conyers. I think that's that's probably the biggest pickup so far. Yeah, I wonder if Joey was counting Juco guys when he said six to ten. I I sort of took that to mean six to ten scholarship guys from other four-year universities. That's a good point. Um, and I think – the West Georgia quarterback is a PWO. I think our friends over at Red Raider Sports have reported that. So hopefully still, you know, a decent amount of scholarships to work with. Obviously you need volume on the offensive line and probably at receiver. I was a little bit surprised that McGuire apparently told Don Williams that they were going to look to take one player at wide receiver and then maybe like one best available or kind of a flex player with as many receivers as you had leave. I, I don't know. I'm a little bit skeptical. I'd probably take the over on one and a half, even though Joey said one. Um, but Conyers, take this for what it's worth. I don't. I know people have mixed opinions on pro football focus and their player rankings, their scores. I use it as kind of like one, like a starting point, and you know, it's one tool in the tool belt, so to speak. But I read somewhere Jalen Conyers among all FBS tight ends over the last two years graded out as the fourth best tight end in the country per pro football focus. So I think you're getting a good player here. The numbers don't totally wow you, but he played for a really bad team. And I know tech fans are saying, well, I hope we use him. You know, we don't really use our tight ends that much. Is that, is that because the tight ends weren't healthy consistently? And like, you haven't had as much juice as you might have with a guy like Conyers. I guess we'll see, you know, now, like if you have a player as talented as Conyers and you still don't utilize him, it probably points to, the idea that you are likely to probably never utilize the tight end that much. But if he has 50, 55 catches next year, I think that kind of answers that the other way. Uh, Texas Tech had several recruits in, transfer recruits in the town this weekend, a couple of offensive linemen. So I would assume you're still hitting that three offensive linemen mark, three or four. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how many you actually bring in to start. Um, I talked about this last week. I, I want to see some of these young guys play. Not not, uh, not if it's going to hurt the team, but certainly if it's going to help the team in two years, if these guys play now, I, I think that's a, a good option. 
Yeah, I mean, let, let's work backwards and figure out how many spots. So, like, Jacoby Jackson and Caleb Rogers, assuming they both stay, those are guys that are locked into starters. If they're not starters, that means we upgraded majorly in the portal. I think Sheridan Wilson is pretty likely to become your starting center. So, like, let's say you have three pretty solid starters locked in. That means everybody you bring in plus the redshirt freshman and the true freshman are competing for two starting spots. So that's where, like, if you get four guys out of the portal on the offensive line plus the redshirt freshman, I, to me, you feel good about those numbers that if you can get two or three of those guys to hit, you at least have a good starting five. Uh, last thing I'll say on kind of the maybe strange approach in bringing in some D2, some FCS guys, I totally understand kind of the initial reaction and the apprehension to that, um, especially in today's college football when you have guys leaving power five schools all over the country. But I think, at least in my opinion, and y'all let me know what you think, I think James Blanchard and the recruiting staff have earned enough credibility by identifying guys early, at least in the high school ranks. And I know it's a little bit different assessing guys out of the portal. But, like, the way I see it, when we offer an FCS guy and then, like, one of the offensive linemen, I don't – I can't remember if he's D2 or FCS or what, but he has a Georgia offer. And, like, to me, that's pretty validating. If Georgia wants a kid, he can probably play football or at least has a high ceiling where you roll the dice. And so, like, a lot of these guys that we're offering from the D2 and FCS kind of ranks are getting Power 5 offers – and so on the one or two cases where we're the only power five who's in on a guy, is that because our scouting department suddenly doesn't know what they're doing? Or is that because we're early and good at identifying all of these guys and like other schools didn't find this guy yet? I guess we'll see. Um, so, I mean, I get it when a guy commits here and like his other offers were a handful of schools that you don't know off the top of your head if they're FCS or NAIA or D3, like totally get it. But um yeah, I think overall, in my mind, Blanchard has kind of earned the right to say, hey, we watched the tape. He's played this number of snaps. He's got these measurables. He's a take. He's been right um, way earlier than a lot of other scouts on high school guys, and so let's hope that that's true in the portal as well. And if you're a PWO, you get uh, cash money for coming here to Texas Tech. So that's a, that's an incentive, and if you get a bunch more of those guys and, and you're paying them to come here and – they want to be here and that makes your depth better. So be it. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not, it's not a negative per se. Um, it's just different. And I don't know that going to get a bunch of power five players is better than going to get in a Fairmont state guy. Uh, because if a, if a power five player, let's say, let's, uh, uh, you know what? I'm not going to pick on anybody. Let's say a power five player didn't do anything at, I don't know, Alabama. And then he comes here and you're like, oh, we got an Alabama transfer. And then he never does anything here as either. Like, is he just not a good player or um, is the power five to power five not guaranteed success either? So it's all a crapshoot, in my opinion, uh, recruiting. And if you're identifying certain attributes that are that are solid, then if they fit in the scheme, they fit in the scheme. And I'm not going to question James Blanchard at this go round. Uh, let's stay in football. Cal and Texas Tech will play a game here in six days. It is the 10th. They'll play on the 16th. Uh, 
Kyle will be boots on the ground in Shreveport, I believe. Cal 6 and 6. Defensive transfers out. No offensive coordinator. Uh, initial thoughts on Cal as an opponent. Um, initial thought is I need somewhere to stay in Shreveport. So if you're a Red Raider listening to this and you've got like a pullout at your hotel room, get at me. Um, Cal, I see some similarities with Texas Tech that, that might resonate with our fans. They they started three and six. We started one and three. I think both were probably highly skeptical that they would reach a bowl game at different points in the season. They have a freshman All-American inside linebacker, just like you do and Ben Roberts. Um, Cal's guy, is his last name is Uluave, and he I, all I've done so far is watch some highlights of a handful of Cal games, but he's a good – he's a defensive playmaker. I think Roberts, much more of a tackling machine, but Uluave is around the ball a little bit more um, – intercepting passes, things like that. I'll say this. This isn't a shot at Cal. They got a little bit lucky in their win over Washington State. They had a um, they had a touchdown on a tush push that Washington State was running. Their quarterback fumbled it, and Cal picks it up and returns it for a touchdown. They had a second touchdown on what everybody thought was an incomplete pass, but the refs – let it ride and wound up being a fumble guy picks it up and scores and a third touchdown with an offensive lineman clearly downfield on an RPO. They were in the red zone anyway, so they're probably going to score. But I look at games like that. Those are three huge plays that if they don't get them, they might not even be in this bowl game. Looks like they made a quarterback change about halfway through the season and their, their new guy, his last name is Mendoza. Definitely a little bit mistake prone, like kind of throws some picks, but also, is aggressive going down the field. And so they, they hit on some stuff there can make plays with his feet. They've got a really good running back kind of like you um, not quite at Taj Brooks's total output, but they're running back um, blanking on his last name here, but he's got about 1200 yards on five and a half a carry, just like Taj. So pretty equally good player there. And a uh, pass defense is atrocious. Run defense is actually kind of okay to solid. And so I, I, not sure if it's actually a good matchup for you. Um, Cal turns the ball over a lot, but you don't take the ball away a lot. So, like where Cal is weak, I'm not sure you'll be able to exploit it. I mean, we haven't really exploited anybody throwing the ball through the air all season. Of course, there's some context there with Morton's injury. But I guess to that effect, I am curious, you know, if Morton is his healthiest since the West Virginia game, which according to McGuire, he is. Um, I'm really curious how the receivers that are coming back next year, Brady Boyd, those freshman receivers that have redshirted this year, how they stack up against this Cal pass defense. Cause it's not good on paper. And like, if, if we're still, you know, I don't know, throwing it 38 times for like six yards per attempt and our leading receiver has 35 yards, I'm going to be like, okay, we, we just can't throw the ball against anybody. Um, if we can't do it against a defense like Cal. So just kind of some initial thoughts. I hope that we get to talk to somebody that covers Cal more permanently um, on Wednesday before the game. But that's sort of my two cents after just kind of taking a glance at their roster and their season so far. I wonder how that offense will change with their running game coordinator taking over, offensive line coach taking over as offensive coordinator. Bloche, I believe is his name. 
And they also signed up uh, Sterling Gilbert to be the quarterback's coach now that uh, Jake Spavital is gone. If you remember Sterling Gilbert from his Texas days. Jaden Ott is the Cal running back, by the way. Not. Not. Nice name for a running back. Money, you were uh, nodding quite a bit during that Kyle dissertation. What are your thoughts on Cal? Yeah, well, I think Jaden Ott is definitely one of the hallmarks of their team. Only ran the ball 40 times less than Taj this year, even with their shuffling quarterback situation as well. But they've got kind of another back that accompanies him, Isaiah Ifonze. He ran the ball 70 times this year, so they've got a reliever in there for him whenever he needs a breather. But I've, I've done a little bit of skimming, not as much film as I'd like to admit, but that's what this week is for is to be focused on Cal. Um, but they're a hilarious team on paper. Like They've forced 25 turnovers this year, which is second in FBS, and they've committed 24, which is 126. So it is very much either boom or bust with this team. Um, I think the linebacker, obviously, Ulu Abe is really good, kind of the hallmark of their defense. He plays a lot in coverage. I think he had two picks this year, which actually led the team, which is pretty impressive for a linebacker. Um, and then it's really just how can you capitalize on what looks to be a very bad pass defense? I think this is going to be kind of a good game for the situation you're in right now is like, all right, we've, we've got all these young guys, you know, we want to see what they're about. I, I think this could be a big game for Jordan Brown. If he's playing, um, you know, guys like Brady Boyd, like how do these guys shine and play against a defense that has not looked to be very competitive? I think that's going to be one of the bigger storylines, at least for me as a viewer in this bowl game is okay. How did those wide receivers step up? But other than that, Cal seems to be doing themselves a lot of favors and simultaneously hurting themselves, which kind of feels like Texas Tech to some degree. Obviously, I don't think Texas Tech is that polarized in terms of where they rank in terms of forcing and giving up turnovers. But this will definitely be a game where I think you need to take care of the ball. No silly interceptions, no fumbles, um, and then try and get a few out of them. This would be a great game to to take three. Their leading tackler. Elam Zor in the portal as well, uh, along with two other linebackers and a corner or two um, since the season ended. So maybe uh, if he's there on the sideline or playing in the game, you shake his hand and, and see if he wants to come down to Texas Tech. Who knows? Going to interrupt real quick. My Minnesota Vikings won 3-0 to zero over the Las Vegas Raiders. It is the lowest scoring indoor game in NFL history. And if you had the prop bet, no touchdown scored by either team, you just made 100 to 1, whatever you bet. So congratulations if you had no touchdown plus 10,000 there. That is incredible. Uh, 3 to 0. I wonder where the last time an NFL game ended 3 to 0. Yeah, I couldn't tell you. Surely that's not Scorigami, but uh, I bet it's been a couple of years. Yeah, it was probably like a snow game somewhere, too, or like, you know, during a tsunami or something. Man, some of the quarterback matchups this week in the NFL were brutal. I mean, Trubisky, Trubisky uh, starting for the Steelers. People chanting for Mason Rudolph uh, was hilarious in that game. Hey, it wouldn't be the first time Rudolph came through in December. That's true. He's going to lead him on to, uh, a winning streak here in December. Hey, if you hit a plus 10,000 bet, what would you do with your winnings? I'd go to Rojino Barbecue. 
is what I would do. I would uh, clean up at Reno Barbecue, get the Texas Trinity. Uh, somebody tweeted at us that they were eating the Texas Trinity this week. Uh, I would buy hams for everyone there in my Christmas family at Reno Barbecue. Pass out hams galore. I would order online so I could go there and not wait in line. Uh, RahinoBBQ.com. I would also just follow on Instagram, but that's free, so anybody can do that. RahinoBBQ.com. Good segue there, Kyle. Uh, let's see. Let's let's switch over to some basketball talk. Um, what I think is the X factor, or was the X factor for this team, has gone down with an injury. Devin Cambridge. Uh, he's been called the most athletic player on the team by uh, Rick Isaacs on Twitter. Uh, so you know that's true. Um, Money, I'll, I'll pass it to you here. How big is this loss, um, especially when for two weeks we've been talking about how much better this team is going small? Yeah, it's pretty huge. And when the injury happened, Lamar Washington was right there on the ground next to him, and it almost looked like he saw a ghost. And like, I don't like to speculate about injuries before anything's reported, but it was almost like, man, like, was there a pop? Was there a snap? Was there something? Because it it looked bad. Um, Lamar Washington just looked freaked out. Um, and so in that moment, it was kind of like, okay. And Kyron Lindsay comes in immediately, burns his red shirt, refreshed on the rules um, after our last pod. That does burn his red shirt. So I imagine we will see much more of him throughout the season. But just on paper, if you look at it, over the last five games, Four of Texas Tech's five most used lineups include Devin Cambridge. Right now, he is second uh, on the team in blocks and free throws attempted, which is a crazy stat for a 6'6 guy. He's got more free throws attempted than Pop Isaacs this year, and he is third in points and rebounds. And so if you just want to look at it on paper in terms of what he's doing in the box score, what kind of minutes he gives you, it's it's a huge, huge production loss. But what I think may be even more impactful than what he gives you on paper is the defensive flexibility that he gives you because he is 6'6", man, but he does not look like it. Like he he's listed at 6'6". He may be 6'7", 6'7 and a half. He's a big dude. Um, and so he gives you a lot of options with that lineup next to Darion Williams of, okay, he can slip into the five, he can defend the paint, he can defend the rim. Now you're kind of looking for an answer. You're looking for somebody to do what he did. And that's not going to be an easy task because of his athleticism, because of what he gives you on the defensive end. And so I think Texas Tech has a couple of weeks here to kind of figure it out, figure out, hey, how do we kind of replenish some of this production? What do we do with our minutes? Um, but it's a huge loss. Like I've talked about it almost every episode that we've talked hoops. Like front court is the biggest question mark on this team. And this is a guy who kind of plays wing, but because of his size and because of the way that he's been slipped into lineups, he's essentially a big for you because Texas Tech is running so much small ball. So now you have one fewer options at that lineup of, okay, what do we do when we want to go small? And so I imagine Kyron Lindsay will assume some of those minutes in the small ball five lineup, but He's going to have to learn fast. Um, I think you're going to have to see more Robert Jennings, more EY. Um, and that's kind of what the next couple of weeks, I think, are going to have to entail is just letting those guys play through it, play through some mistakes. I think we saw that against Omaha. 
Um, but it's, it's a huge loss and it's a big question mark on your team going forward. And I do think you've got some time. You've got about a month before big 12 play begins, but it, it's a huge loss and you've got to try and find some answers over the next couple of weeks. If, if Kyron Lindsay can do what he was doing at Georgia, which soft schedule, early season, whatever it is, and you'll have that in the next two weeks for him to get acclimated, but he was going for six and five. Um, that would be nice addition if you can get five rebounds a game out of him. Um, I just don't know how much he'll play and how the the rotation goes because if you go sixth, seventh man, that's you know Chance McMillan, Lamar Washington, Kerwin Walton. Those are kind of the next guys on the bench. You didn't have a lot of depth uh, in the front court. So it'll be interesting to see how the team uh, reacts, especially going into this Oral Roberts game, uh, tournament team from last year, but five and four with some weird wins and weird losses on their schedule. I was talking about how Cal is kind of a funny team on paper. This Oral Roberts team has some really weird nuggets. Obviously, this is not the Oral Roberts team of last year. Paul Mills, their old head coach, is now at Wichita State. Max Aismas, really the the key ingredient to making a lot of that magic happen, is, is now at Texas, and you'll see him uh, your first game of Big 12 play. But they have one of the shortest benches in college basketball. Right now they have a guy, Isaac McBride, who's playing 99.6% of their minutes, which is the nation's highest. And then they've got a guy playing 99.2% of the team's minutes, which is second. Um, They have used the bench 0.1 percentage points more than West Virginia, who I think has eight players on their bench right now um, or on their team, I should say. Um, So it's, it's pretty incredible what they're doing um, on such a short bench, but you mentioned the schedule earlier, obviously start off the season with a loss to UT Arlington then you play Mid-America Christian, you lose to Missouri State, and then you play Texas A&M pretty close. You almost lose to Texas Southern at home. You take Kansas State to overtime. You beat Tulsa, a top 200 Kempom team, and they're coming off an absolute clobber fest against Ozark Christian College. Um, so playing a lot of like D2 teams, um, but when they've played these kind of you know higher quality opponents, namely being Texas A&M and Kansas State, their offense has looked a lot better in those games. Um, they scored 78 against Kansas State, 66 against Texas A&M. And so they can certainly get it going. They've seemed to be playing up to their opponent throughout the year, but they're definitely uh, not a good defensive team. Uh, right now they're 265th in Kim Palm's adjusted defensive uh, efficiency. And they are also a really, really bad rebounding team. They are 350th an offensive rebounding rate and 346th in opponent offensive rebounding rate. So they are not getting second chances and giving up a lot of them. That's going to be a big key in this game. I think that's going to be one of the areas where kind of like a Robert Jennings, a Lindsay and EY, that's where I think they can earn some credibility, give themselves a, a way to say, Hey, I, I should be playing more of these minutes. Like I should be the one taking over some of these front court minutes if they can kind of clean up the glass, take care of business against a team that really has not looked to protect the glass very well this year. Kyle, any thoughts on Oral Bob? I've got a recruiting update as well. 
I've got uh, my daughter screaming in the background, so shout out to her. Um, three to zero in the NFL has happened 59 times. Okay. Last time it happened, November 26th, 2007. Um, I guess I we're mad about bad time again. I don't know. Um, so I'm just, again, I'm guessing November 26th, probably in like Philadelphia or Buffalo snow game, something like that. Yeah. Um, thoughts on oral Bob shout out Jeff Haxton. This is the, the Jeff Haxton bowl. And I don't, yeah, this is one I, I thought when the schedule came out, I was like, Oh, this is, this will be a good look for you. You know, hopefully a, a decent resume game, or at least one that won't be like an absolute anchor on your resume at the end of the year. So, I mean, we'll see how it shakes out once they get to conference play and everything. But, um, you know, they've been a very solid program for several years now. Um, I'm curious, do you think, Ryan, do you think Darion Williams can play like a stretch four in some lineups and then put like three guards plus Warren Washington and uh, Darion Williams on the court together? Have we done that much? Yeah, so you're saying Williams next to Washington and then three guards? Yeah, basically, like kind of making Williams a de facto stretch four. Yeah, so that's actually their third most used lineup over the last five games. It's the only one that doesn't include Devin Cambridge. It's Pop, Joe Toussaint, Chance McMillan, Darion Williams, and Warren Washington. And I think that's a really good role for him because he gives you a little bit more versatility on the defensive end than Warren Washington does. You know, if you need to switch him onto the block, it's not an issue. If you need to kind of anchor Washington down low and then let Williams get out on the perimeter a little bit, I think that's a really flexible lineup. And this Oral Roberts team didn't mention this before, but they don't have a lot of size down low, which makes sense if you look at their rebounding numbers. I think the player that's kind of anchored them down low this season has been Sir Isaac Heron, which is an awesome name. Um, but he's only 6'9". So, you know, you've got a seven-footer. They don't. I think that's something that Tech will look to capitalize on. We've seen some early offense being run out of the post the last few games. I don't love that, but it's an easy bucket, especially if you have a size advantage. And so maybe you run, you know, some small ball, but then you run kind of a, a two-big lineup, if you will, with, with Williams and Washington. I think that gives you a, a good size advantage down low, especially in this game. I am so out on the Chiefs wide receivers. Kadarius Tony just lined up offsides on what would have been a 60-yard touchdown that was a bomb down the field to Kelsey. Kelsey throws a lateral pass like all the way across the hash mark to somebody else who runs it in for the touchdown and gets called back because Tony is Tony. standing offsides when the ball is snapped. I think he threw it to Tony. But he was oh, the guy who lined up offsides. Yeah. Great. That's yeah. why he was down there because he lined up offsides. Yeah. What a moron, dude. What an idiot. Uh, big commitment. This from Ben Golan for Texas Tech special teams and Weber State transfer punter Jack Burgess. Burgess led the Big Sky at his second of the nation in punting. He had an average of forty-seven point two yards per punt. I'm really glad we got that one locked down because it really seemed like the sky was falling after we lost our backup punter. Um, but glad we are back to taking our very few punts very seriously i thought uh i thought the, i thought that backup punter i thought that was a linebacker but i guess he was a punter i, I just assumed that, that guy running around with a linebacker all the time but uh he's a punter so uh burgess got the punter in why aren't we getting punters from the power five hey 47 yards is 47 yards in my opinion where is where is weber state 
Ooh, that's a great question. It's in the it's in the big sky. So Montana. So is that forty seven at altitude, or like can he kick this close to sea level? I mean, oh. in Utah, it's in Ogden, Utah. Yeah, that's going to be like forty four and a half in uh, in Lubbock. We'll see. Um, hey, something we didn't mention earlier. Uh, did we mention this on our last podcast? I, the timeline always is off to me. Uh, Cameron Valdez in the portal. Did we talk about that ever? No, that happened after our last episode. Cameron Valdez in the portal. We talked about portal additions. We didn't talk about portal exits. Uh, So there's another one in the portal. Um, Big question there. Does that mean Taj Brooks is returning? Uh, That's the question everyone is asking now. Kyle, if I had to, if I had to put a gun to your head here, is Taj Brooks going to be on the roster next year here in Lubbock? Pat is giving it to the refs right now. I'm I'm pissed at Tony, but it was like it's kind of ticky tacky. He's like on the ball. And now it's fourth and fifteen. Um, I should probably acknowledge I was probably wrong all season when bitching constantly that Tyler Shuck remained our second leading ball carrier despite breaking his leg halfway through the fourth game. I was like, hey, we've got Valdez. Can he not, you know, tote it eight times a game? And Maybe I'm wrong now, but it seems to me like maybe there was a a trust issue with the coaching staff and that he didn't probably earn his way onto the field in a lot of situations to um, be more of a complimentary piece to Taj Brooks. So that was was frustrating in the moment, but now, I mean, kind of with the benefit of hindsight, I wonder if, you know, they were – I don't want to say avoiding – trying to avoid playing him at all costs, but kind of doing that. Like unless Taj got really tired or – Cleat came off in the middle of a play or something. So in that sense, um, could it mean Taj is returning? Potentially. Um, could also just mean that, you know, Valdez wasn't happy with his playing time, and you know, in that role, and that he maybe didn't see a path forward with the coaches to have an expanded role next year, whether Taj is here or not. I did think that when – um, kind of it first came up maybe around game eight or nine, you know, the possibility that Taj would go pro. Everybody was saying, well, you have to go pro, especially as a running back. Like you got to strike while the iron's hot. And I get what those people are saying, but in the NIL world, he could come back next year and make what he would make on a practice squad or as a third string running back. You know, his, his top end speed is such that he's not going to be a, I mean, he's a beast, but he's not going to be like a top three round running back. Um, in fact, I would say it's more likely that he's an undrafted free agent than he's like drafted in the fourth round or, or higher. So if I'm looking at it from Taj's angle, like, yeah, it's a little bit unconventional to play five years of college ball and, you know, try to go pro when you're 24. But also at that position, unless you're one of the five best running backs, you know, you're probably only getting one contract anyway. So who cares if you start that contract when you're 24 versus when you're 23, you know, after that, after your rookie contract, you're probably going like year to year, maybe two years as a journeyman, um, whoever will sign you. I mean, it's just not a position that gets a six year deal anymore after your first contract. So I think like on one hand, he plays a position that makes sense to leave as early as you can because pro scouts don't like the wear and tear. But on the other hand, I'm like, in the NIL world, um, you know, just make what you would make on an NFL practice squad this year and then go get your first NFL contract, which will hopefully be in equal value to 
what it is if you leave this year. So I, I never thought it was as much of a slam dunk as people were saying. If his top end speed was better, I would have thought, yeah, he's gone. But I think if he runs a, a four six five, you know, scouts aren't going to be like, okay, yeah, put him on the big board, you know, in the fourth round. I mean, they're just it's just not going to happen, unfortunately. So I all that to say, long way of getting to your question. I think maybe I still lean that he's gone. I'll say like fifty five forty five that he turns pro. But I I think it's pretty close to a coin flip. If he's drafted in the fifth round, he makes six hundred thousand three hundred dollars or something. Can he make that at Texas Tech? I think he could get close. I mean, I think he's a um, multi-hundred-thousand-dollar player in the NIL world. Like, I think he could come back for 250 or 350 Maybe that's even I'm, – I'm kind of guessing there because I don't know for sure. Um, so, yeah, like, if you can get a 600000 contract next year as a practice squad guy or, or undrafted free agent or whatever – Take the NIL money now, you know, get a what's that insurance policy called that you can get like a future earnings deal where if you yeah. if he has some catastrophic injury like a torn ACL, he can get a million dollar insurance policy or something. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's as crazy as people are making it sound that like he could come back. Yeah, if uh, Taj has a catastrophic injury, he'll he'll definitely be in the the insurance world. But what if you had a catastrophic injury, Kyle? How would you deal with that? Same deal. I've got a million dollar policy in case, you know, I ever can't go sit in a chair at an office someday. Um, not really, but I would call Barnett, Howard and Williams if I felt like I was a victim of perhaps negligence or other legal terminology. Uh, Barnett, Howard and Williams is the best law firm in the state of Texas. They are based in Fort Worth, but they handle cases all across the state of Texas. Catastrophic injury. Uh, criminal defense one of the only law firms in the state of Texas that is certified for title nine student litigation. They do it all. They hope you never need them, but they are in your corner. If you do to learn more, visit bhwlawfirm.com. All right, before we hit the mailbag, I want to play a little game. Uh, more or less players in the portal than Texas tech. We're going to go big 12 schools. Okay. More or less players in the, in the portal. Is this like as of right now, or do you mean what we'll end up with by the end of this? This is as of nine hours ago, tweeted by NCAA Transfer Portal from Rivals. Okay. Uh, TCU, Oklahoma, UCF, more or less in the portal than Texas Tech. They all have the same number. I'll say they have fewer in the portal. Money. I guess I'll just take the opposite and say more. Trick like question. Trick question. They all had twelve. All right, so that's the that's the medium there. Okay. okay. West Virginia, more or less. More. Less. Trust the climb. Less at eleven. Cincinnati, more or less. More. Twenty-four. They have twenty-four nice. players in the portal. I figured they'd be churned, but that's that's yeah. a lot. Kansas State. More. Less. 18. 18 players in the portal. Kansas. Fewer. Only two. Baylor. Fewer. Fewer. They've, they've only lost a couple. Only five. Our last one, Iowa State. Fewer. I don't think I've seen much from Iowa State. More at 13. 
Okay. 13. And then Houston 9, BYU 8, Texas 7. Oklahoma State, who everyone was freaking out last year, everyone's in the portal, only 6 this year. They uh, they took some D2 and NAIA guys out of the portal and then made the Big 12 championship game for whatever that's worth. And a D3 defensive coordinator. It is awesome that one of Oklahoma State's players in the portal is the coach's son. Yeah, how does that conversation go? Yeah. Hey, Dad, I'm going to hit the portal. And then he uh, he doesn't talk to his players after they enter the portal, right? He doesn't try to get them back? So I wonder, like, that, does he talk to him at Christmas? Is there an asterisk next to that if it's your son? Or is he just like dead to him? Especially especially Gundy, who took like such an anti-portal stance. Yeah. And now his son is like, well, I'm going to go chase playing time in a bag elsewhere. Did y'all see Alan Bowman is applying for a waiver? He wants a seventh year. For what? Because he didn't I, go to Michigan? I don't know. I saw. I just thought it was like a footnote on something else because it was like Gundy entering the portal, and then it was like with Bowman's waiver, you know, like uncertain. You know, it clouds the picture for the quarterback room next year. I was like, a waiver. I don't think any COVID guy should get a waiver. Like you already had your freebie, no waivers. He's transferred twice. Yeah, he's done. He's done. All right, you want to knock out a mailbag? Yeah, we're getting to the point of like, um, I don't know. When you're when you're playing youth football, you're in these like okay, eleven and twelve year olds play in this league, thirteen and fourteen year olds. If Alan Bowman comes back and guys like him, we're gonna have like twenty six year olds going against eighteen year olds. Yeah, and Tyler. it's like borderline. I don't want to say unsafe, and obviously that quarterback is in a position where. But if you have like a twenty six year old defensive end bearing down on Jake Strong, like that's a competitive disadvantage yeah. and might not be totally safe <laughs> it's like alfredo morales uh seventh year senior playing offensive line yeah dr morales yeah. dds phd mba anyway mailbag. <laughs> yeah mailbag matador transit mailbag coming to you Got mail. Mail time. I found these in my mailbag. Well, it's time to reach into the old mailbag here. Enjoy reading the fan mail. Don't read it all at once. Any mail for me? You don't have a tic tac, do you? Did I get any mail? No. Why not, honey? All right, I'm skipping the first three questions in the mailbag because I think those are good for a year-end episode, and that's not this. So let's uh, finish the bowl game and get to maybe Christmas, and then we'll answer those questions. But they're great questions, great questions. We're just not going to do them today. Uh, what was your first car, and is there any sense of nostalgia about it? I drove a 1987 Ford F-150 Lariat tan, and I wish I had that car back. That was an awesome truck. It's my dad's. First vehicle was a 1998 Ford F-150 three-door model. And that's not a joke. The driver's side didn't have a back door, but the passenger side did. Don't know why they designed it that way. Is it a suicide door? No. Open the other way? Uh, Yeah, I guess. But it was like, yeah. 
it was weird. Um, no sense of nostalgia. It looked like a the '90s was a weird era for cars, especially Fords. Like if you've seen a '90s Ford Taurus, it just looks like a bubble. And I don't, I don't love that design. I would take either an older F one fifty or a newer one. Current vehicles are two thousand eight Ford F one fifty. I've only ever driven those two vehicles, so I'm a pretty straight shooter when it comes to what I drive. Money. What was your first vehicle? 2007 Jeep Liberty Renegade, and I feel no nostalgia about it because it is still my car. Nice. I drove a 1998 Jeep Cherokee for a while, Grand Cherokee, and that had two 12s in the back. So I'm, I'm nostalgic about that as well. I had a, a 1988 Crown Victoria for a couple of months. That one was awesome. And a 1989 Cadillac for a couple of months. That was awesome. What did y'all learn to drive with? Because I I learned to drive with my sister's Honda Civic, which is probably the weakest engine of any car on the road. Yeah. And then when my mom got me an F-150 with a V8, like I could not use the gas pedal. I was like, whoa. Uh, so that was a weird, that was a big jump in terms of like what I learned with and then what I had to actually go drive. I mean, figured it out pretty quick. Uh, yeah. But I wish I would have learned with the vehicle that I was going to wind up driving or at least something a little more comparable. Yeah, I learned with that truck the 80 the 86 86 87 whatever it was lariat long bed you really had to turn that thing wide it's like a bus uh how tall is ryan six two six two so would you be listed at six three yeah i'd give myself a few yeah uh, Poncho, if I feel like a gaucho has slandered me on an open pod, does BHW cover defamation lawsuits? Look, if there's a question, is Rob soft and you comment emojis, toilet paper, and a big green check? That's not defamation. You called me soft, so you and Poncho, we got beefing, beef, y'all are beefing pretty hard. We got beef, so I personally, I prefer the beef from Rahino Barbecue. I know he was going for the Barnett Howard and Williams plug there, but I just did a 180. But I, I'm enjoying the beef. What is Kyle's favorite John Bellion song? I 80s films. Who, I don't know who that is. He sang a song that I referenced last episode. What? Which was? 80s films. You were asking if I peaked in high school, and he has a song about a man having a conversation with a woman, and he's like, I think I peaked in high school. And she says, that's impossible because we weren't together in high school. Remember uh, that? Yeah. I thought that, that song... Was- that song is called 80s Films, and it's my favorite John Billion song. Poncho in the comments now. Okay, that's fair then. See, <laughs> beef over beef smash. Uh, would you use 9-11 as a motivational tactic? The Bills won. Bills won this week. Surprise the Chiefs. <laughs> uh, we've seen the Bills won. The Bills won. <laughs> We've seen similar programs with similar budgets do great things like win multi-Big 12 championships, go to the CFP. Why can't Tech get there? Location, recurring bad hires slash flops. What's our biggest obstacle to being great? I thought it was talent before Joey McGuire got here. Still do think that that was the problem. I just think now you're in a position where you're not inferior talent-wise. I was looking this up, actually. 24-7 sports has like a four-year running total of your like all the recruits you have in your program 
And I went back to 2021 and we were, we were eighth in the big 12 ahead of Kansas and Kansas state, which Kansas state always punches above their weight. But that was Kansas. Like before Leipold got it going in the right direction, Kansas saw another stat that since the college football playoff era, which we just completed the 10th full season of, we have the ninth best uh, conference winning percentage in that decade, only ahead of Kansas still. So like, um, yeah, I think Cliff and and Wells, I mean, certainly had their deficiencies as coaches and like the overall record is bad, but I think why was it bad? Like you always point back to recruiting and like when Cliff just doesn't recruit a defense and then Wells doesn't recruit offensive line and you're, you know, the eighth most talented team out of 10, like that's what you're going to get. Unless you have some Bill Snyder level coach, you're going to finish around eighth in the conference. And that's what we did for a decade. Start, bench, cut, dig, set, kill. You got to start kill, right? That's the flash that everybody comes to see. Yeah. Is there any way to get fans, students to volleyball matches besides just winning? Uh, no, I, there's not a culture in Lubbock uh, at Texas Tech of watching volleyball games, right? I mean, if you win a bunch of games, I'm sure people will show up. The Lady Raiders uh, got in the NIT last year. People showed up to the tune of 6,000. They won in the 90s. Everyone was there. Um, softball, when you're winning, people show up. Baseball, when you're winning, people show up. Football, when you're winning, people show up. But I don't, I don't know that there's ever been a large crowd at the volleyball games. You, you just have never put much into it as a, as a university, right? When I was in college, Toby Smith was head coach and number 12 Baylor was coming to the USA and like 30 minutes before tip off, me and my friends were like, Hey, have you ever been to a basketball game? And we're like, no. So do you want to go tonight? Like we're playing number 12 team in the country. Okay, sure. Which like mosey in five minutes before tip off front row seats. Nobody's there. We win the game, storm the court. And like then that's that was kind of the beginning of Tubby having some success. But in any sport, you have to win. I mean, maybe football is the lone exception because there's such a big, like you said, Rob, culture of tailgating and just football in Texas. But even that is noticeably down when you're not winning. Like you'll get way, way more um, sellouts and tickets sold when you hit eight or nine wins versus when you're stuck at four or five. So agreed. Uh, any indication on when we can expect to hear an official decision on what Taj is doing next season? December 16th. Uh, after the bowl game, just like um, Tyler Shuck last year as MVP, they put a microphone in his face. He said, I'm returning. We got business to finish. What do you think about that, Kyle? I think if he skips the bowl game, that's obviously not a good sign. Right. Well, he's supposed to play, right? Yeah. Which doesn't mean he's staying. Like, Amaro played the bowl game, I'm pretty sure, against Arizona State before going pro. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll get a post game, especially if he's MVP and has a mic shoved in his face. Who knows if that decision has already been made, though. Like, I know the Valdez portal news kind of sparked some speculation. But he might want to play the game, get that over with, and then kind of sit down with his family and think about it. So he might not even know at this point. Should there be a drop dead date for that money? You think he needs to – he owes it to somebody to say by a certain day? 
No. I think he should yeah. make the best decision for himself. Yeah. I mean, pro day shows up and it's, you need to make that decision by then, I guess. I don't know when it is, but I don't think you're, I don't think he holds the roster hostage by taking his time. If you're a quarterback, maybe you're holding the roster hostage because you're, you're really having to figure something out there, but running back, I mean, you have to trust Bryson Donnell and, and, uh, Anquan Willis have some kind of juice, right? You recruited them. Uh, should the NFL do what the NBA has done and allow players with remaining college eligibility to declare for the draft without signing an agent, go through parts of the draft process and have an option to withdraw their name before the draft and return to school? I think they technically already do something like that because you can go through a draft evaluation and NFL scouts can tell you where they think you'll be drafted. I think that's what you do with the NFL. Uh, you don't need the you don't need the combine to tell you that in college football. I don't think. I think it would be difficult. Well, I don't know. The, the NBA draft is later than the NFL draft, but like relative to signing day and like the portal window. Yeah. If you just have a bunch of guys like on a wing and a prayer saying, well, maybe I'll get drafted in the seventh round, like throw their name in and then they don't get drafted. But, you know, they're the team they came from took 15 guys in the portal to fill out their scholarship. Like then what happens? Right. And so I don't really know how that works with basketball. Yeah. Um, but that would be kind of the main hiccup from a, a logistical standpoint, potentially. Seems seems tough to to work out especially with signing day and all that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, does Valdez leaving signal a Taj return? Not sure if anybody has thought about this yet. Well, uh, Cameron Valdez actually hit the portal yeah. on Friday. So yeah. uh, star bench cut Santa frosty, the snowman and Rudolph in that order. Big Santa fan. Is this as a, a, a front man for Christmas? Is this, movies what is what is this in relation to i think you can interpret the question however you'd like okay yeah i'm cutting rudolph because of the rudolph lie uh, that has been perpetrated against us and then the big I'll, lie i'll start santa yeah big santa guy money yeah i think i'm gonna go in that order as well although i did love the original frosty the snowman video or movie i used to have it on dvd throw it in the old dvd player Watch it every Christmas. Yeah. As far as the the claymations, Frosty's way better than Rudolph. Rudolph freaks me out. You know what I hadn't thought about till just now? How many Christmases did Santa get all the way around the world, spreading joy and cheer and giving presents, and then Rudolph helps one time and gets like Christmas carols named after him, movies after like. He does it once, what Santa's been doing for hundreds, potentially thousands of years. And is that the first storm there's ever been? I mean, come on. Like with modern technology, too. Like, isn't it obsolete? Just put a headline on that thing. More and more becoming kind of an anti-Rudolph Grinch. My sister has chimed in that uh, she would start Rudolph. So I guess she's uh, watching. Yeah, that's that's just the wrong answer. Sorry. Mike says, imagine how the old lead reindeer feels. Yeah. There wasn't a lead re reindeer. There was there was teamwork, and there were two in front, right? Dasher and Prancer. So, 
I don't know how to feel about that. Uh, has the Heisman lost his juice? You know when the Heisman Trophy died? When Johnny Manziel won it as a freshman over Manti Teo and Colin Klein, uh, all credibility was lost. Why is that? Because, or maybe you can go even back further to RG3, who lost three games and won a Heisman, which Jalen Daniels just did, Jaden Daniels. Um, but I just, uh, I don't, I don't feel like the Heisman has as much, uh, beef as, uh, as it used to. I think it just depends on the year. I think we just have to acknowledge that there are some weak classes. Yeah. That was a weak class. Yeah, I, I think so too. But then you have classes when like Reggie Bush and Vince Young are right next to each other. And to me, that's, or like when Tebow, McCoy and Bradford are all up there, that's insane. Yeah. That was both before the, the dead date of Johnny Menzel. True. Yeah. I do wish there was a way to get more position groups involved. Like running backs have become so obsolete now, now and then are like a receiver, like Marvin Harrison Jr. Became a finalist. Uh, Devonte Smith won it, but I don't know. Like you're telling me the most outstanding player in college football is like never a defensive player. Somebody voted JJ McCarthy as their first First vote on the ballot. JJ had to McCarthy. be like a, a former winner from Michigan, right? But even then, like, you should vote for Blake Corum. He's not the most outstanding player on his team. Yeah. He's a bum. Uh, if you were to create an award for the best collegiate quarterback, would you name it the Davey O'Brien Award? Oh, this is making fun of the previous question. I skipped that one because it was dumb. Sorry. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, what's hopefully, the most small town thing you've? I'm just gonna skip it because I already made fun of him. Hopefully, Poncho wasn't the one who asked that. No, uh, it wasn't. Somebody asked, "Will college football ever create a quarterback specific award?" And there is one. It's called the Davy O'Brien. So somebody asked, "Will the quarterback award be named the Davy O'Brien Award?" Uh, what's the most small town thing you've ever seen? I was stuck in traffic between two horses and a tractor uh, on a. a a two-lane road in town in Childress, Texas in 2010. That's the, the most small-town thing I've ever been a part of. I think Plainview is not really a true small town like some other West Texas towns. Like a decent population. But I was at the Cotton Patch Cafe in Plainview one time with a congressional candidate's dad who was retired and he walks in and was like, yeah, like we need a table for four or whatever. And then he asked the host, he was like, Hey, is, is Terry here right now? And, and the host is like, no, but I thought that was like, do you just go to cotton patch cafe? And like one ask if like, I don't know if this was a friend or neighbor or somebody and expect the server to know who they're talking about. But then the server actually does know who he's talking about. And so I thought that was pretty funny. Woof. Uh, Money, do you have any small town memories? I'm a city guy growing up in the Metroplex. I think the closest I ever got to spending some extended amount of time in, in a small town was probably uh, in Stephenville, Texas. Parents are, are Texans. Um, so I have some fond memories there, but nothing out of the blue. Would you rather have the Iowa offense of this year or the Texas Tech defense from 2016? 
The Iowa offense, 16.6 points per game. The Tech defense, 43.5 points per game. Oh, your, guess, soul, your soul just left your body a little bit. <laughs> I guess I'll stick with the devil I know. I feel like I'm equipped. Yeah, after watching Pat lose two games where we scored 60 plus points, I think I think I have that right. And I think he'd lost like eight or ten games here when we scored 40 plus. Like I'm used to it. And at least some of those games are still talked about. Like that duel with Mayfield will be talked about forever, even though that team wasn't good. And he won a different award for a quarterback named after a different TCU quarterback than Davey O'Brien. He won the Sammy Ball Trophy Sammy Ball or Sammy Trophy. Ball Award. Yeah. Like, is anybody going to be like, do you remember that 2022 game, Iowa versus Indiana, when it was 9-6? to six? I kind of doubt it. Yeah, do you also get the, the offense that scores 43.5 points and the defense that keeps you at 12 points? Because I would like to try the Iowa style for a while. I, I don't know. It, it seems kind of fun. That defense, 12 points per game is awesome. And they win their division a lot of the time. So, yeah. I don't know. You're in the Big Ten Championship. Muddy, do you have a, a preference? Bad defense, good offense, bad offense? Yeah, I'll take the, the 2016 defense. I, I do not like watching good defensive football. And that that might be a hot take, and I know it sounds a little ridiculous. Yeah. But I'm a big I'm a big offense guy. I like explosive plays. I like fun play designs. Um, and so I'm definitely taking a, a better offense compared to just an absolute sleeper from the Hawkeyes. I one of the most entertaining games I watched this year was Iowa Nebraska. So, and it was ineptitude at its finest. Uh, love this question. I just bagged on him, but this this question's good. Start bench process cut the blue collar comedy tour. Jeff Foxworthy, Larry the Cable Guy, Billing Vol, Ron White. Are you guys familiar with the blue collar comedy tour? I'll start Jeff Foxworthy. So he was the he was the the leader. He was the quarterback of the team, right? Got all the the recognition. Was the most famous. Went on to host shows like Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader, uh, had the bit. Uh, Ron White was the funniest. Bill Ingvall was the second. I would process Jeff Foxworthy because of the You Might Be a Redneck bit and cut Larry the Cable Guy. He he was maybe the most funny when I was in junior high, but now that I'm, uh, you know, grown, I would, I would cut Larry the Cable Guy. If you... I don't like Ron White. Really? I, I'm a big Ron White guy. Annoys the crap out of me. They call me Tater Salad. Not a big Ron White guy. No. He's sober now. He's going on tour. Did you know that? Good for him. I wonder if he's still smoking cigars. Might like him better when he's sober. Oh, you're just a hater. Is that what it is? I just don't think he's funny. <laughs> so you would start Jeff. Are you Bill Ingvall or Larry the Cable Guy there in the middle? Neutral. I'll leave that decision to my assistant coaches. I'll let I'll let money decide who gets processed there. I mean, they all had bits. Ron White's the only bitless guy. I mean, Larry Larry the Cable Guy. That's funny. I don't care who you are. That's funny. Uh, Bill Ingvall. Here's your sign. Here's your sign. Uh, big. You, I used to I used to go to Blockbuster, Kyle, 
and this this you can tell me if this shapes how you think about me. I used to get old wrestling pay-per-views and blue collar comedy tour DVDs or VHSs back then. You don't like that you might be a redneck if bit. Oh, it's it's good. I just feel like it's a little overplayed and uh, contrite, maybe. That's when everyone just uh, he was the star, so everyone thought he was the funniest. But I, I would disagree. I think Ron White was the best comedian. Bill Ingvall second. They're old now, by the way. I saw a Bill Ingvall clip today, talking about how uh, his wife set up his phone, and in her phone, his name was My Lover, and she forwarded that to the mold guy. So the mold guy had his contact as My Lover, and the mold guy forgot his phone somewhere, and he called, and he was like, "Oh, fellas," he's like, "No, it's Bill." And the guy thought Bill was his lover. Yeah, I'm going to process that because that's not (laughs) Oh, did the Chiefs focus too much on defense and forget to play some – get some playmakers on offense? This roster construction is uh, crazy to me. I I don't know how you can trade away Tyreek Hill, win a Super Bowl, and then think you can just do that forever and not go get wide receivers. I mean, you had Juju last year. And, like, wasn't Mike Evans pretty well on the trade market? Yeah, DeAndre Hopkins. I don't get it with with Veach because he does make some really good decisions, but then like every single one is coupled with a real head scratcher, in my opinion. Yeah, like their backup running back was drafted in the first round three years ago, and like that pick could have been on on who knows what. Um, and like the receivers, like it looks like they kind of hit on Rasheed Rice finally, but they traded away a decent amount to get Tony. They drafted McCole Hardman, I think, in the second round. Sky Moore in the second round. So, like, they – in that sense, I almost don't trust them to trade for a wide receiver again unless they're just incredibly solidified in who they are, like Mike Evans. But, like, when they got Tony, I was kind of like, okay, yeah, he was in a terrible offense with the Giants. This is what he needs, new scenery. And, like, you see flashes of it, the punt return in last year's Super Bowl, and then you also see him line up offsides to lose the game for you and drop a bunch of passes. But, yeah, I think they totally just thought we can get whoever at receiver because we have Mahomes and Kelsey. Like, we'll put Scantling out there. We'll put Tony out there and just make it work, and it's not going to work. Not going to work. You got uh, beat by the six and six Bills, the seven and six Bills today. Pat is going to have to win a road playoff game for the first time in his career if they want to do anything this postseason. Set up the legacy. Doing it on purpose. All right, final thoughts? Go Cowboys. Go Cowboys. I think Kyle's looking one up. Don't sell the hide until you've shot the bear. Don't sell the hide until you've shot the bear. Yeah. Is that uh, the Norwegian version of don't count your chickens before they hatch? Yeah. And also, I was being serious about needing a place to stay in Shreveport. So DM me, but don't be weird about it. Okay. Let's not make this weird and creepy. He will sleep on the floor, guys. Like, if you don't have a profile picture and your Twitter username is Red Raider1981, and I don't know your real name, I'm not going to stay at your hotel room. But, like, if I kind of know you 
I'll probably stay at your hotel room. And I'm a good guest. I'll keep my area clean and just be there one night. That's all I need. So, or I could, who knows? Maybe I'll get a hotel room of my own. We could probably swing that with the Gaucho's budget, man. <laughs> we need to get like Holiday Inn as a sponsor. Yeah. Or I, oh, here's what I could do. I'll call up one of the casinos in Shreveport that has a hotel and lie and say I'm like this big and see if I can get a, a comp room if I agree to wager like 500,000 bucks this weekend and then just don't bet it and see if they... Now, the Gaucho's budget can't cover that. No, it's comped. If you bet enough, they'll just comp your room. Right. No, we can't cover the $500,000. Oh, I'm not going to bet $500,000. I'm just going to lie so that I can get a free room. It's like fraud. You're going to con. Con. Yeah. All right. Punters locked in. Go Cowboys. Go Cowboys. Love (laughs) y'all. Oh, yeah.